Uh, but what are we talking about today? Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that words can change your life. Words can change your life. And you know what? Sometimes it just seems like we throw words out there or we don't think about what's being said or, or we don't catch the moment and that's possible to do. I was listening to a woman. He's a Christian comedian. And uh, she was talking about the fact that she never knew she'd be a comedian. She always thought that, you know, yeah, she had a sense of humor and could get people to laugh. And she started speaking in her church. And then from there it grew and grew. And her and her husband, they loved their life together. But they always kind of lived in this little trailer on uh, the East Coast. And, and, and while they were happy with that, they had no idea what was coming. Well, her career took off. And to the point that State Farm Insurance Company booked her to be a comedian at a place for all their high-level executives and their top salespeople. And here's where it was, at the Ritz-Carlton on Maui. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she got to bring her husband. They had never even been to Hawaii. And so what happens is, is they show up and they're just in awe of it. And when they shows up at the Ritz-Carlton, not only are they treated good like normally they would be at the Ritz, but I mean it's a high level because they see her as a celebrity. And, and they're, they're just like the VIP treatment, everything. They put them in this huge suite that's bigger than their trailer. Uh, and with a balcony that overlooks the ocean and the sunset. And so she's just caught up in this and her husband's caught up in it. And they go walking outside and they're looking at this beautiful sunset and this amazing view of the ocean and, and Maui itself. And, and, and she looks at her husband and she said, what are you thinking? And she thought he would turn and say to her that he, wow, you've arrived. I am so proud of you. Or, or he might say, oh my gosh, this place is so romantic to get to share this with you. Uh, it's beyond our dreams. Or he might look at her and say, you know, I got to tell you that you're more beautiful today than the day I married you. So she's waiting for something like that. And he looks out and says, how do you think they got all this steel and cement out here? <laughs> Okay, I think it's funnier than you do. But uh, comedians tend to find out things that we say and, and, and ask questions about it. Uh, like, for instance, this one comedian, I heard him say that, that he heard this, this statistic. 70% of people in the United States suffer from hemorrhoids. His question is, do 30% enjoy it? You know, uh, or how about this? Uh, there's a, a catchphrase. You've heard it before. X-lax. X-lax works while you sleep. I don't know about you, that didn't sound like a good idea, you know. And uh, uh, How about this one? Charmin is irresistible. What does that mean? I mean, do you really want to walk by the bathroom going, I got to go in there, got to be near it. I mean, I mean is that what it means? And, and you know, I, I got to tell you, sometimes we throw out phrases or hear phrases, and we got to ask the question, is, is that what it means? Well, well, here's where we're going. If you've been a part of our church family ever before, I mean, and, and you've been with us, you know that every single time I end my message, I, I ask people if God is touching you and moving you to say some words with me. I ask you to pray. And uh, I try to lead you through a prayer that's based on a, a really honestly some study that I've done over the years about how we enter into this amazing relationship with Jesus and how that affects our life and, and the things we want to say to really actualize this beginning of this whole new transformational experience with God who adopts you as a father and who draws you into this relationship and transforms you and calls you to a brand new life. And, and by the way, these words can change your life. Uh, they could change your life like the day I looked at Pam and said, will you marry me? And she said, yes, that changed our lives.
The day we stood and, and made vows together and we meant them. And, and when you stood with someone and you said, I, I really mean it. Till death do us part. That, that changes your life. And when we say these kinds of words to God and we mean it. Because remember Jesus warned about a group of people who would honor him with their lips. But their hearts were far from him. It will change your life. And so what I do is I lead through a prayer. Now, let me say this as clearly as I can. The prayer that I lead you through is not found in the Bible, but it's based on Scripture in the Bible. And it, the words are not magic. This is super important. Uh, don't miss this. It's like, well, wait a minute. I didn't say that particular word or phrase when I became a Christian. Well, that really honestly doesn't matter. I want you to know that. Why? Because it's not the words themselves, although the words can change your life. It's your heart. It's how you feel. And when you and your, you know, maybe a weakness or a, a moment of crying out to God and you're ready to say it, and God helps you. As a matter of fact, look on your sheet and notice this in Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able also, Jesus is who's he, Jesus is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. It says that, you know what, when you're in that moment and, and you're beginning to say, God, I'm not even sure what to say. I just know I need, then that's all you need to say. You know, if, if we go through this today and you go, oh my goodness, I, I, I didn't say that particular line. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, you were so close. Wow, I'm sorry. That almost was heaven. No, now it's hell. You know, I mean, he doesn't do that, right? It's not, and, and I don't want us to get caught up in that. But there is a reason that we use these words. But let me tell you, if, if even you didn't even know what words to say, if inside yourself you're groaning and just wish somehow for God, even then God hears you. And notice what it says in Hebrew or Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says this. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know how we ought to pray, as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He said, you may not always know what to do. You're just inside. There's this ache. And he says, then the Holy Spirit will help you. So that's the point today. That, that while we want to understand why these words are important and what they mean. And, and while I think it's incredible, when I get a chance to, to do what I'll do at the end of the service and stop. And just say, hey, would you, would you, if God's moving, would you whisper these words? And I say it a phrase at a time. And if I do it right, you get to think about it and say it. Why did we choose to lead you through this prayer? Well, notice how the prayer starts. It starts off with two words, Lord Jesus. By the way, that is the great beginning, Lord Jesus. And the whole idea of Acts chapter 2, verse 21, look at that with me. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, verse 13, echoes the same thing where it says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, now, why is that important? Because what you're saying in that moment is, I am going to surrender my life to you. You know, we live in a democratic society and we don't tend to understand what Lord means. But Lord means the maximum authority in my life. The one who owns me. The one I am bound to. The one I must obey. Even if I don't obey or want to obey, I will obey him anyway. I surrender my will. He governs me. He protects me. He watches over me. He directs me. And, and that's what we're saying. You know, uh, I found out how true this is last hour. But it's interesting that in Spanish... There's no word for Lord. And so when we translate the Bible from Greek into Spanish, that's always been a difficult one. And so whenever the word Lord is mentioned in the, the Bible, in Spanish, it's the word Señor, which means Mr., Mr. Jesus. I was talking to a woman afterwards. She said, that is so true. Señor, so she just pointed it out to me. And, and here's what I want you to know. 
that while there's no word for Lord in Spanish, most Latin cultures understand what a Lord is. But the problem, I think, maybe is this, that in English, we have a word for Lord, but we don't get it. We act like, no, I'll do it my way. I'll make my own choice. You, you, and, and, and the reality is, it's a surrendering to God. In medieval times, when there was a Lord, he actually owned all the land that everybody lived on. They had to have permission from him to farm or work it. And then when they did, they had to give him whatever proportion he named back to them. They had to get permission to travel. They couldn't just leave and go wherever they wanted to. And when he rode into their area, they dropped on their knees before him. See, that's the meaning of Lord. And that's what we do. When we say, Lord Jesus, it's a, a moment of saying, no more my way. No more about me. Now all of a sudden it switches over. And I want to live this way with you, God, in every way I possibly can. Jesus warned us. He said, why would you? Look at Matthew, or Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He said, if you use that word, Lord, you better be willing to follow it up by doing what I say. If not, it's meaningless. And then in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, and don't miss this. If I run out there and say, well, I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God. You know, the question is, is he your Lord? The question is, do you do what he says? And Jesus said, many are going to come and say, Lord, Lord, but they haven't done what I said, and so I'm not going to accept them. And so when we begin, we're saying, Lord, from this moment on, I am, I am giving myself to you. I'm in obedience to you. I'm going to follow you. Now, by the way, this is, creates what we call the great exchange. You might be sitting here today going, okay, wait a minute. Why would I even want to do that? Why would I want to surrender to him? Well, let me tell you what's going on here. What you do is you say, okay, I'm going to give you my sin, my failures, my brokenness, my hurts, my pains, my, my vanity within my life that has so much uh, 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 lack of meaning to it. I'm going to give all that to you, Jesus. And, and what do I get back? I get love. I get joy. I get power. I get direction. I get cleansing. I get transformation. I don't know. It sounds like a pretty good deal to me. And see, it's the great exchange that you make with the Lord. And then he says to you, I'm not going to bind you in. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to let you live the life you were always made to live. I'm going to call you to do the things you were created to do. And you're going to lay in bed at night and say, wow, this life is beyond all I could ask, hope, or dream. When you make the exchange. And when you say that word, Lord, that's what you're doing. Look at Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, now what's a yoke? Remember, if you had an oxen, and usually you would do it with pairs, you put a yoke on them partly so they won't fight and collide. They'll work together. But you put the yoke on them. Why? So you can direct them. And Jesus said, get Give me your burdens. We just sang a song that says, the weight of my sin fell. Just give me your burdens. Give me your pains. Give me all of that. And what I want to put on you is something that in the end is light. Something in the end that guides you. He says, and this is the great exchange. Come to me and let me guide you. Now that's the big key to understanding this idea of Lord. And Jesus in John 10, 10 said there's a thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. But what I'm asking you to do is come to me so I might give you life and life abundantly. Come and live. But notice it's not just Lord, it's Lord Jesus. 
The word Jesus literally means Jehovah will save us from our sins. It means that God is going to come and, and create forgiveness and create love. And in Acts 4.12 it says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. And God is very clear on this. He loves us enough that he would send Jesus to die on the cross for us. There is only one way into a relationship with God and into forgiveness and healing and the completeness we're meant to have. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. C.S. Lewis, when he was trying to illustrate the amazing, amazing name Jesus, in the Chronicles of Narnia, he had Aslan be the figure of Christ. And what happened is these children are caught into a land and they're cold and afraid and running for their lives and not sure what to do. And all of a sudden, someone looks at him and says, but Aslan's on the move. And Lewis said this. They had never heard the name before, but instantly something began to well up within them. They began to feel warm. They began to feel hope. They began to feel courage. Somehow, that name brought joy. Now, I, I got to say this, that this is true for me, and I think it's true for a lot of you. Does the name Jesus just get to you? I mean, don't you, have you ever just sat and go, wow, Jesus. And you hear other people say, I, Jesus, I love Jesus. And sometimes we just sit in, and we want to say it over and over, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it thrills our hearts in a way that's amazing when you know him, and it gives you joy. And by the way, when someone misuses that name, how do you feel? And, and see, there's something about that name Jesus. And so what are we calling out? We're calling out in a very, this is a key, personal way, Lord Jesus. Now the prayer goes on. Lord Jesus, I know you died on the cross. I know you died on the cross. Now, now we know he loves us, but we know he loved us so much he died on the cross for us. And, and Galatians 6.14 says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We know that he lived. We know that he really died. We know that he really rose again. But we know why he died on that cross. And we don't boast in anything else. We understand the only way to God is because he would come and send his son to die on the cross for us in an amazing way. Even more, we know Jesus was God incarnate, God in the flesh, who did not sin. But he died for our sins and he died for our hurts. Galatians chapter 1 verse 19 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him I say, whether things on heaven or things in heaven or, or things on earth or things in heaven. You know, he, there was no worse way to die. Of all the ways that God chose to send Jesus to come and live and die, there was no more horrible, torturous way to die than the cross. The pain someone would feel was agonizing. And in the midst of it all, in the midst of all the pain, the pain of the nails, the pain of, of the aching, the pain of the cramping muscles, the pain of the dehydration, is that a person would start to drown. They literally would suffocate there. They'd hit a place where they couldn't lift themselves back up and they would start drowning with all this air around them. And, and the pain was intense and it was made that way. Well, what gets to me about it is that in Psalm 22, the cross is perfectly described at a time it did not exist. Because God in that moment was pointing to a day that, that would be the most important day in all eternity. Now we all look back to that day. The day he died on the cross. But you know what's really interesting to me, and I, I'm going to say that I think again for many of you. When we walk into this building and you look at that, you feel love. 
When you walk into this building and you look at that, you feel hope. And rather than being an instrument of torture and an instrument of suffering, an instrument of death, God took that through the blood of Jesus Christ and transformed it into something powerful and joyous and amazing and incredible. And I don't know about you, but just for me, when we're worshiping, there's so many times I look at that. And I'm not worshiping the cross, but I'm remembering the victory that was obtained on that cross. And I know it's an empty cross because he's not dead. He rose again. And I know that that's the thing that has caused me to be acceptable to God. And when I see a cross or touch a cross or think of the cross, man, I'm thinking about what Jesus did. And he did it for you. Look back at your sheet. I know you died on the cross. Why? To forgive me of my sins. To forgive me of my sins. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But look at Colossians 2. It says this, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Notice it's all. He didn't leave out any. When he came to die, he died for every single thing you've ever done wrong, or by the way, will do wrong. And in verse 14, it says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He died on the cross so you'd be forgiven of everything, every possible thing. And I want you to think about that. See, we all have sinned. There isn't anybody in this room who hasn't sinned. By the way, you know what? Everybody in here has told a lie. By the way, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? Just one. And I'll bet you there's no one in here who's only told one lie. And if you say you have, you're a liar. And uh, <laughs> how about this? You ever padded your taxes a little? All of you who were servers, did you ever underreport how much money you got as tips? That makes you a cheat. You know, oh man, I don't know, you know. A lot of people do worse things. Well, how about this? Everybody in this room's stolen. By the way, watch your purses, ladies. This room's filled with thieves. You might say, oh, no, no, no. How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? Once. How many times you got to murder to be a murderer? One time. By the way, the Bible says if you hate somebody, you've murdered them in your heart. The hateful, mean, cruel, lying, deceptive things we've all done. And you know what God's look? He looks at you. And you know what God says about you? I couldn't love you more than I do. I couldn't love you more than I do. And I want to wipe out every single one. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. I don't know what you've done. I know what I've done. But I can tell you this. There's no sin you've ever committed that is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Not one. And his blood is going to wipe it away. And you might say, well, no, it, you don't know how bad my life's been. And I want to tell you this. The greater the sin, the greater the grace of God. The greater the forgiveness, the greater the love. And by the way, we in this community of faith, don't, isn't that what we celebrate? We celebrate the great forgiveness of God. And, and, and he died on the cross to take that away. Uh, uh, look back down in, in Isaiah 118. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are red like crimson, they will be like wool. He says, I will wipe away completely anything. And I will not hold it on you. I will let that weight fall off of you. You're forgiven. And then I love 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Look what it says. It says, if we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you say, but I haven't sinned or it's not that bad. Well, you know what? You're, you're deceiving yourself. But it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? Notice this, 
all unrighteousness. He cleanses you completely. He changes you completely. He doesn't see you that way anymore. And so we say, Lord, I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. And notice the next line, to heal me of my hurts. He did not just die for the sins you committed. He died for the sins committed against you. He didn't just die for the pain you inflicted on others. He died to forgive you for the, or to cleanse you and heal you from the pain inflicted on you. In Isaiah 53 verse 4, it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore. It's going to go on to talk about iniquity. It's going to go on to talk about transgression. But I don't want you to miss what else he did. He said he wanted to take your hurts and your pains. And uh, in this room right now, because of our statistics and what we know from life, there's some of you in this room right now, man, those pains are pretty deep. And uh, some of you, you know us, some of us, well, we know they are and we've learned to deal with it. And, and, and I would say this, that's probably good, but don't just deal with it. Let it be cleansed and taken away completely. We talked about that last week. But for some of you, you say, man, it's just killing me. And the Lord says, I want to give you new life. I want to take it away. I want to remove it from you. And that's what he wants for you. And there's probably definitely some women in this room that you were the target of abuse in horrible ways, mentally, verbally, physically. And God looks at you and says, I want to make you pure and whole again. The violations that were done, God wants to remove. There's some men in this room, some things were done to you. And, and, and we don't even want to use the terms in here. And God says, but I want to cleanse you of that. I, I want to take it away. And I want to tell you, I've seen this transforming power at work for my life and in other lives. It's real. It's not just psyched up. It's, it's the hand of a God who loves you reaching out to touch you. And you say, you know what? I know, Lord, you want to heal me of my sins. I know you want to heal me of my hurts. Notice why. To make me alive and to make me new. Notice that. Because I know that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins and heal me of my hurts to make me alive and to make me new. There's an old saying that says that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. You see, that's the point. Life and life abundantly. He wants to give that to you. Look at that section of scripture, Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you also formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among them too, all formerly, uh, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desire of our flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God... But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, now don't miss this. God says that we may not realize it in this moment, but if you're not in a relationship with him and truly born again by him, then you're literally the walking dead. There's a book called Angel Walk, which I would highly recommend. It. It's an interesting story. And it's the story of an angel that was kept in heaven and God would not allow him to see earth or come to earth until it was just before the coming of Jesus, the second coming. And he said, before my son comes, I want to send you down to see why he died. I want you to see why Satan was cast out. I want to see why this world has to be judged. And, and when he comes, it's an amazing story of what he sees. But the first part of it grabbed me. He comes and begins to look and he's horrified at what he sees when he looks at people. Because you and I look at each other outwardly, he could see inside, and he could see the walking dead. By the way, do you realize the majority of people in this room right now, you're dying? 
Your brains have quit growing. As a matter of fact, you're losing brain cells right this second that'll never be replaced. Some of you have diseases that are already working and taking away years off your life. So, and, and, and the bottom line is, is whether that's true of you now because you're so young, you still get a few more years. The bottom line is everybody here is going to die until Jesus comes. And, and as a matter of fact, you ready for this? Every second, three people die. And God says, I don't want that to be for you. I, I want to free you from that. I want to free you from death. I, I want to make you alive. I want to make you new. And the minute Jesus touches you and you embrace that, life comes. Uh, not that long ago, I was with a particular family who had been attending Crossroads about a year. When they came here, here's what happened. Their marriage was over. And, and just basically... To take away the guilt, they said, well, let's just go to church, but if that doesn't work, we're done. So their kids are dying because their parents are going to divorce. The family's a mess. It's so dysfunctional, the fighting. And when they came, just kind of giving it a last shot, both of them ended up being so touched by God, they came and gave their life to Jesus Christ and were baptized. Now, which is exciting. But catch this, I'm standing with this family now that is filled with love. I mean, the husband loves the wife, the wife loves the husband, the kids have a secure home. And the guy said this to me. He said, I did not realize what it was like to live this way. He said, Chuck, it's like everything's new. Going to Little League games is just different because we get out of the car and I grab her hand and we walk and cheer for our son together. And we're in it. He says, everything's new. It's, it's a new marriage, a new life, a new. And I thought, that's the God, that's what Jesus wants. Everything new for you. And you start living this new life. By the way, Jesus didn't come to recycle you. <laughs> he came to redeem. He came to, to give new life. He came to, to give you this new creation. And that's why if you look down on your sheet, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. The old new things have come. All things have become new is the way another version says it. And that's what he has for you. So we say that. I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new. Catch this. To make me yours. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to give yourself to him completely. By the way, when Pam and I got married, I, I literally said, I'm yours. And she said to me, that I'm her, you know, that, that I'm yours too. And you know, I'm so glad she hasn't taken me back and exchanged me for another one, you know. But, but here's the point. We live in a world where everybody acts like, no, I'm, it's all about me. You'll never be happy when it's all about you. Matter of fact, psychologists over and over have said if you're suffering from depression, one of the best things you could do, go do something for somebody else. You know, I want to tell you that when you learn what it's like to give yourself away, then you find yourself like you can't believe. When you give yourself to God, you find yourself like you can't believe. And when you give yourself to others, you find yourself. And you're starting to live a life like that when you come into Christ. And you know what happens when you give yourself to God and say, I now belong to you and I want you to be my Lord. He looks at you and says, yes, but I also want you to be my child. I want to adopt you. And that's why it says right there in Romans 8 verse 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He does it. He wants you to, he wants to be your dad. The word Abba means daddy. And he, you come and say, okay, Lord. And he says, yes, Lord, but more. I want to adopt you. And so you say, Lord, I'm yours now. And then the, the next line, notice this. So I say yes I want this and I want you. And Jesus said, you know what I'm doing? I'm standing at the door and I knock. And if you would open up to me, I would come in.
And I want you, and you say, please come into my heart and fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And it's a cry out to God. And in Luke eleven thirteen, he says that if, if you, if all of us uh, being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? A new power comes into you and it changes everything. And then there's another line in that prayer and look at what it is. Help me be who I was created to be and help me live the life you made for me to live. Do you know before you were ever conceived in the womb, before anybody ever thought about your existence, God knew you would exist and he created you on purpose. He can call for your conception on purpose because he has things for you to do. You have a destiny and deep down inside, if you face up to it, it's been there and you know it. You were made not just to live, you were made to live significant lives. You were made to do amazing things. Nobody here was called into existence to be a failure. And the bottom line is God has things for you to do that will cause ripples through eternity. In Ephesians 2 verse 10 it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared beforehand so we would walk in them. So when you say those words, Lord help me be, who I was created to be and help me live the life I had to live. When you say those words, it actually creates a ripple effect in other people around you. And you, you would be used by God to literally change this world. Think about what would happen if thousands and thousands of people of this community said, here am I, send me in a minute. That would transform this area. I mean, it would just send ripples through it of people being loved and cared for and fed, called to, to be rescued from lives of hopelessness and despair and pain. Marriage is transformed. When we say, here am I, send me, what does it mean? Well, we're already seeing it begin to happen. You know, right now, there's a group of people from this church at a special needs camp pouring love into people with special needs. They said, here am I, send me, and now people's lives are being improved. And those families are thanking us over and over, and we're all a part of that. Do you realize, because we got real serious about the here am I, send me, hundreds and hundreds of children in a slum in, in Nairobi, Kenya right now get food and they get medical care and they have an education and they have clothes and they have a roof over their head. And, and here's the thing, that our elders are so committed to this and I know you are too, that we're going to double the amount of money we put into missions next year to 10% of our annual budget and it's now going to take that hundreds into the thousands with the goal to literally eradicate poverty from that slum. Extreme poverty can literally be done away with because we say those words and mean it. And that doesn't even have to do with what we're about to do in Peru and what we're about to do in India. But, but it's not just there, it's here. And, and when we say, here am I, send me, and you walk across the street to a neighbor and love them, you reach out and start caring for somebody else around you. You give a listening voice. You just say, God, here I am. And he opens the doors. It literally ripples for eternity. And when someone looks up and says, God, how could this be? You walk in as the answer to their prayer. Because you're called to a destiny. You're called to a life with him. You're called to live in an amazing way. So when we say those words and mean it, help me be who you always created me to be. And to live the life I was made to live, it becomes the most amazing life you could ever live. And you say, God, this is greater than I ever asked or hoped or dreamed. And every one of us, we're all called to do this together. And when we do it, oh my, the difference it's making and makes. Today I want to ask you, have you ever said the words we talked about today? Have you ever said in a minute, 
to say, here am I, send me. And I'm going to ask today that if you're a part of our family, you whisper those words in a minute. If you feel you're really going to say it, mean it, and you watch what God does. I also want to ask, though, have you ever said to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross. And then have you ever said those words in a minute and found the transformation and found the love and found him drawing you close? found the forgiveness, the healing. If you've never done that, today we're about to go to a time of prayer. And what I'm going to do, like I always do, I'm going to lead that prayer. I'm going to give you a chance right where you're sitting to whisper the words to God. If you feel him stirring, if you want this, if you want him, then then I'm going to ask you to say the words with me. My prayer is that some of you today, it's going to touch you for the very first time. There there may be some of you right now who said, I've said that before, Chuck, and nothing happened. Well, today, today do it. Today, do it and let it happen. Today, do it and know the meaning. Today, do it and surrender to him. And so I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer with me and really mean it. Some of you might say, Chuck, I prayed that prayer and and, and I've wandered away. Well, let me tell you what, God wants you back. Oh, does he want you back? So today, I'm I'm hoping, we've been all hoping, we've been praying for this, that that as we begin to pray, there'd be a stirring of the Spirit for us to say, here am I, send me. But also a stirring of the Spirit for many, many of you to say, God, here I am, take me. I want to be yours. So let's pray. Father, I pray that this place is a place where we're so committed to you. We even call it a, a love of four commitment. And Lord, it's born out in so many ways, but it's born out by meaning and, and saying to you, here am I, send me. And God, send us to neighbors, to friends. Send us to the right places and let us just be yours. Your servants, people who give out your words and your love and your care and letting people know they matter. And I pray right now in this room that there's thousands of people whispering that phrase to you and meaning it. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Right now, if you mean it, just say it. Whisper it to him. Here am I, send me, Lord. Father, I want to pray and ask that your Holy Spirit move right now in this time. And you stir and you touch anybody here who needs to say yes to you. Who needs to come to you. God, I pray right now that you would just cause them to know that this is their time to say this prayer and to call out to you. And I pray for the man who's here who just needs you so badly and and Lord, he knows, he knows this is it. It's time to let go of the wrestling and the doubts and, and, and to start allowing faith to rise and, and him to be able to come back to those things he was taught, but he never embraced as a child. And right now is his moment and this is gonna be for him. I pray for the man who's been wondering, Lord, what life's about. And all of a sudden things have happened in his life to show him what matters. And now he more than ever needs to take hold of you. I pray for the woman, Lord, who just this week had something happen that just she feels so hurt so used and abused and it's time for her to be set free from that and healing's about to come so I pray God right now that you're going to stir and you're going to call anybody to you who needs to people Lord are going to know that you love them they're going to feel this stirring now I'm going to lead the prayer and right now if you feel God calling you to do it I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray it with me I'm going to ask you to whisper the words to God. So right now, if you want to come to him or come back to him, say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. 
And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, to make me yours. And I want this. And I want you. So take me now and help me be who you always created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And Jesus, this I pray in your name. Amen. Wow.